scotch. I, I wish I had some scotch or something. <laughs> um, hello, folks, and welcome to Brown and Out. Yes, the podcast where we give voice to LGBTQ people of color in Vermont. And today we have with us. Jarvis Green. Yes. How's it going, Jarvis? It's going very well. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, for... the hat came off. It did. Okay. Yeah, because I'm. Should I take mine off too? No, no, no. Because I'm, oh. I'm professional. You don't have to worry about that. Okay. I, I have a podcast to run here, and <laughs> I can't be wearing a hat, even though folks can't see me. They, they'll hear it in my voice okay. that that I'm not what? wearing a hat, and okay. I'm being very professional right now. Yes. You look very professional. He has an all black. He looks, <laughs> he looks amazing. I'm on my Steve Jobs. I'm on my like yes. black turtleneck yes. kind of um, vibe. That's how you can tell that I mean business. Absolutely. Um. Okay. Wait, we, and we've met before. You, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. we have. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I I didn't say that at coffee, but I just wanted to remind you that we have met before. Absolutely. Before this is a reunion of sorts. This is a reunion. And it feels so good. It does feel good. How long ago was that? It was years ago. Yeah. yeah. Probably when I first moved here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you want to start there? When did you move to Vermont? I moved to Vermont in the summer of... I don't know if it was an actual move, but I landed in mm-hmm. Vermont in um, the summer of 2011. Okay. I think. Yeah. August. I had just turned 30. I turned 30 July 5th in 2011. Um, and... <laughs> Left the city, left mm. New York City, um, and came to Vermont with a friend of mine, Jonah Hankin Rappaport. If Jonah is listening, shout I love out! You. Yes, yes, he lives in Eugene, Oregon, right now with his partner Laurel and their beautiful son uh, Shiloh. Okay, yes. shout out! Shout out to them. Yes. Um. So you were having like an existential crisis, and you thought that totally. Okay. Totally. My. <laughs> I. I didn't know. I was. Uh, truth be told, I was I was homeless mm. in New York. Mm. My world had sort of turned upside down. I was living with someone for a long time. Uh, they had, I think they moved away, but we had to get out of our apartment. It was it was uh, it was not a good time. Um, and so I was kind of couch surfing on on some friends of mine's couches. And Jonah was I forget why he was coming to New York. I think he was cleaning out his like mother's or grandmother's apartment in Queens Mm. and he was like my girlfriend is uh going to school in Vermont she was going to she's uh, a medicinal school in Montpelier Mm, okay Vermont integrative health or whatever she's a witch she basically like makes tinctures and teas and all of that fabulous stuff um and so they were living on a homestead in South Royalton Vermont and he picked me up in New York and brought me to Vermont um and I've been here ever since. Okay, it was yeah. just that good. You couldn't leave. I, I couldn't leave. <laughs> uh, I couldn't leave. Yeah. Well, that is quite the origin story. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, everyone thought I was crazy. Um, my my parents are like, where? Who? <laughs> what? I remember my grandmother just being like, where is that? Like, what is that? I I don't think that people in Vermont necessarily understand how much how little the rest of the country knows mm-hmm. about this state. You would mm-hmm. think, like, oh, everyone knows, like, all 50 states, but people think it's a town yep. in New England. Yep. Like, New England is a state and yep. Vermont is a town, because, you know, I don't know. But 
maybe after this podcast, okay. maybe people will start to understand <laughs> that this is a fully functioning state <laughs> <laughs> yes. with many towns yes. and cities even in yes. it. I, I said cities, but I don't. I, no I'll cities. take that right back. Berlin, you can call, would you call Burlington a city? Oh, it's up and coming. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yes. It's the next metropolis okay. for sure. Watch. Okay. Yeah. You know, even even uh, some of my friends in New York, particularly a friend of mine, when I'm like, hey, come visit me. Like, it's like, oh, my God, that's so far away. It's like, yo, I come to New York all the time. It's four and a half hours. I get in my car or I take the Dartmouth coach. Like, it's not that far. But, like, in their minds, they think it's like, yeah, you know. Right. Across country. Another anyway, world. Another world. And in some ways it is. It is. We know that. It is. Um... Yes. What are a few things that people must know about Jarvis Green? Mm. Oh, <laughs> oh my God! Oh, well, that's that's kind of brilliant. They must know. Mm. They must know that I am the youngest of four. Huh? I was born in Anderson, South Carolina. Um, I, oh my God, um, I was born in poverty, Mm. um, and, uh, sort of, uh, a woman that I was going to church with, um, I'm now just telling you my life story. Let's go. Yeah, I'm just telling you my life story. I was like, what, what they must know. Yeah, no, they should know my story. Um, so grew up in poverty in this, uh, apartment complex called Fairview Garden Apartments um, in Anderson. So the demographic, it's like 80% white, 16% black, um, and then 2% something, 2% whatever. Um, and so we grew up in this these apartments called Fairview Garden Apartments, and it was, you know, there were Section 8 apartments. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was really interesting about the place is, like, I lived beside my grandmother. Like, my cousins were, like, you know, in the building behind us. Mm. Like, we all went to the same church mm-hmm. and schools and, you know. But there was still kind of drug dealing, drive-by shootings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so I grew up in Anderson, uh, grew up in poverty, started singing in the church. Oh. Okay. okay. Like, we all do, like, all black gay men do. <laughs> they either sing in the church or, like, do a liturgical dance or or, or are the um, uh, the minister of music. Okay. You know? These are classic. These are classic, like, you know, black gay male roles in the church. Um, mm. Anyway, um, but I, um, I started singing in the church. I remember one Sunday I was singing this song called His Eyes on the Sparrow mm. that um, there was an arrangement of it by the Mississippi Children's Mass Choir. My choir director had told me to listen to that, and she wanted me to prepare it for um, Sunday service. So I went home, I learned it, and... Um, sang the song and like got everybody like moved off their feet in that moment I kind of like felt this thing you know this like honoring myself of just like oh I I have something um that I didn't necessarily know that I have had um and have I still do (laughs) I still do um present tense yes present tense 
And so a woman in the church told me about this boy choir mm. that I should audition for called the Gamak Boys Choir, Greater Anderson Musical Arts Consortium. Okay. Now, at that point, I didn't know about, like, sort of institutional arts organizations. I didn't know that there was, like, a function and, uh, like, craft and a formula to various arts mm. things. And so... I went to this audition, mm -hmm. and there was a guy sitting on the piano by the name of Carl Beard, who I love dearly. I haven't talked to him in a long time. But anyway, he sort of like played notes on the piano and asked me to sing them. He would play a note. I sang it. He would play a note. I sang it. And then he was like, you have like perfect pitch. <laughs> I, we want to hire you. And so I started singing in the Gamak Boys Choir, and like the rest is history. I've been involved with the arts um, since then, um, which was also, it was kind of a double-edged sword because in that moment, I started becoming, um, I was like in an arts institution and an arts community that was primarily white, mm. you know, um, which sort of isolated me from my family a little bit because they didn't quite understand, like, you know, they didn't, they didn't understand me singing classical music. They didn't understand, like, you know, going to these concerts and listening to these symphonies and orchestras. It was just, like, they weren't really interested in it that much. And therefore, it just, uh, there were moments of just feeling, like, you know, removed uh, from my family because I had found this sort of, like, new family in, in the arts. Go ahead, answer I, you want to say something. Well, I'm interested in that and uh, kind of your take on why that is. Um, I have an idea that sometimes, like you said, growing up in poverty, it's almost like you have to focus on the day-to-day. -day. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Just like mm -hmm. getting food on the table, paying rent, like very, very basic bare necessities. yes are kind of all-consuming, so yeah. when it comes to things like the arts and being a patron of the arts, sometimes it's like you might almost feel like you don't have time for that. No, like it's, like, it's like a hobby. It's like, it felt like a hobby. It was just like they didn't have, you know, my mother was, like, my dad was addicted to crack, and he had a, um, uh, he was, you know, he was an alcoholic, so here, here my mother trying to raise four kids, um, like making minimum wage at a restaurant, which was probably like $7 an hour at the time for kids. So it's like anything outside of just like trying to take care of four kids. Right. It's like, you know, she didn't have time or the capacity to, um, uh, to nurture this like, you know, creative queer little boy, you know? Um, and you probably, you know, would have liked it if she were, you know what I mean? Like if, if it didn't seem like such a, a foreign thing, the things that you were interested in to her. Yes. Yes. I, I mean, I had sort of a breakthrough moment with my mom the other day about a, a little bit about this. Like for a long time, I had thought that my mom was um, just let me out into the world. I mean, when I moved after college to Seattle you know, for a long time, I just thought my mom just, like, allowed me to just, like, go out into the world and figure stuff out on my own. And she was like, you know, I 
that was one of the hardest decisions of my life. I remember it like vividly of you just like going into the unknown, moving with your friend to Seattle, which wasn't Seattle. It was Olympia, <laughs> which is an Thank hour. You very and, much. It was like an hour and a half from the city. And so I'm in like Olympia, the capital of uh, uh, Washington. Washington. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the capital of Washington. This like hippy dippy. Not to call people out like that, but it was just call like this granola as town <laughs> with rich white people on the streets, like like saying that they're homeless with signs and et cetera, et cetera, when they were just like like fine. But anyway, and this is you're coming straight from South I'm Carolina. I'm coming straight from Anderson, South Carolina, right. and so kind but, of a culture shock. A, a little total bit. culture shock. Mm. Total culture shock. But like. Not really, because once I started being in the boy choir, like my my relationships outside of my family were academic and and uh, sort of artistically were with white people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I would say, in a sense, that's probably because I identified with my creative lens, which didn't. You know, I wouldn't say favor, but I didn't see a lot of you know people that looked like me in my artistic realm. So I mm. tend, I tended to just like migrate and associate myself with white people. Because mm-hmm. it sounds like you were nurtured in the artistic community, and you know what I mean. That's just yeah, who was present. There. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yes. So it's like get in where you fit in. Kind get of. in where you fit in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so what I was saying was like that my mother mm-hmm. was like, no, I, that was a hard decision. I wanted you to soar. Like I knew that this place cannot hold you back. So I just like I had to let you I had to essentially let you go, you know. And but it was like, oh, I've been thinking all of these years that it was just like you're you didn't I wouldn't say she, you know, she didn't care. But it, at times, I've, I've always felt so alone out into the world. And I had to, like, learn a lot through strangers, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know? Um, so, anyway, that's, that's, you know, that's a kind of... Yeah. It must have been hard for her. You know what I mean? It sounds it like... Was. Like, you, you, you thought it was, like an easy decision and felt kind of abandoned, it sounds like you're right, saying. Right, But it sounds like whether she liked it or not, she felt it was just necessary. Yeah, to for like, me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because all of my siblings are still in that area. Oh. Um, mm. My brother's in Atlanta. I have... And my sisters both still live in Anderson, and they're glorious, wonderful, beautiful, Lovely. Well, they're your sisters. They are my sisters so, and my brother. Of course so, they are. Yeah, they're they're amazing. So yeah. Um, did I answer your question about like what? It's, it's sort of. I I think we are we're getting there. We are getting to the yeah. heart of the Jarvis yes, Green story. Yes. Yes. Because yes. um, I think your story has to be told. I mm. think you know. Absolutely. Mm. Thank you. Uh, uh, things that people should know about me. So I left, I went to Seattle um, and sort of hit the streets, like trying to figure out like what to do. I worked in restaurants. I showed up to auditions and um, uh, tried to book work. And I did book work. I, I mean, 
I auditions say, for uh, theater? Theater, mm-hmm. theater. Yeah, so I went to Anderson College, which is in the town that I grew up in. Um, liberal arts Christian school. Okay. Which is so weird for me. <laughs> it was so weird. It's just like, you know, I, I, I couldn't. I mean, I couldn't fit in. First of all, like, there was no um, kind of focus into the arts department. Like, the music department was on point, and I was sort of torn because I was a singer, um, but I also discovered the theater. Mm. Um, and so, like, going to Anderson College, it's like, you either major in music, which is, like, opera or whatever, um, or you do theater. And the music program was great, but then I was like, I love, I love theater, too. And the theater department was, like, now it's it's grown and it's big and it's doing wonderful. And so I was kind of like torn between those two things on top of being gay in a Christian school. So it, it was like... Sounds like a doozy. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, um, it was a lot of conflict there. Um, and so I moved to Seattle um, and kind of learned about creative rigor and got my actor's equity card... Mm, that's big. That's big. That's big. My first job was at this theater that is no longer there, Capitol Playhouse in Olympia. Um, and then I uh, found my way to Seattle, um, got my equity card at the Fifth Avenue Theater. I worked at the Intamon Theater mm. under, uh, did a couple shows with Bart Scher, who I, I forget what he won a Tony Award for, but he's a huge director in New York. Um, uh, if any of my theater friends that are listening, they all know who he is. Worked at the Intamon and did a lot of things. And then it was just like, I was, I never, you know, the, the thing about this business is like, I could never find, I was like always the token black guy. Hmm. There was, and it was never, and especially with musical theater, um, there tends to be this, token black narrative uh, uh, as far as roles go Hmm. Um, and I was always wanting something like more meaningful and that I could um, portray be a part of plays and productions that um, uh, that I could talk about like and that I could portray roles that were about my life or about black people in general, not right. just like this kind of like token like narrative and discussion or whatever, but like what is that? What is the what you see as the token I, black I would, narrative in theater? What is mm, that? And I wouldn't I, I think token I, I, I don't want to um, uh, because there's many there's many stories to um, uh, the black narrative. There are many forms, but right. like I think in in musical theater, when it comes to a lot of uh, when I started working in Seattle, these kind of token black roles were like slave roles or like um, uh, 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 servant roles or mm. like you know it, it didn't give you a spectrum of blackness, you know. Um, and uh, so I left Seattle sort of still kind of seeking that, like, you know, I want our stories to be told in, in many, 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 many capacities. Um, and moved to New York, hit the ground running again, trying mm-hmm. to find auditioning, working at restaurants, really trying to find meaningful... Doing that thing. Doing that thing. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a tale as old as time <laughs> doing that thing it's still seeking and looking for um that 
that important, meaningful work. And especially in regional theater, it's just, it, uh, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, in, and, in New York, did you find the roles that you were looking for? No, uh, hmm. no, because I think what happened mm-hmm. was is that the training, the the work that I did get in Seattle mm-hmm. didn't necessarily prepare me for roles that were about black lives. Because back there in Washington, you said you were running into the same kind of rote, stereotypical... Yeah, yeah. And I think that's still so true, even the work that I'm doing right now, when people are coming through the door, me, you know, coming in um, uh, as a producer, director, auditioning people about black narratives. We have to be so verse and, and, and have to, like, be able to do Shakespeare and Brecht and all of these classics and Moliere, all of that. But when it comes to our stories, mm-hmm. there is, like, this kind of disconnect with some actors. Like, there's this, like, colloquialism that they'll come in and, st- like, you know, start kind of speaking in this kind of, like... It, it, it's weird. It's weird. Like, and, and, and it happened with the, a show that I directed um, in our first season, Choir Boy, which is a contemporary kind of play. But like, a lot of black actors were coming in with this kind of like slave kind of talk. This, if you will. I, this idea that they had of what a black person is supposed to sound, sound like, like on stage, and yeah. it just—you felt like it was disconnected from your experience. Yes, or disconnected from the play actually you know because of the roles and the opportunities for black people have only been in that kind of uh, generally 80 90 percent have generally only been in that kind of like narrative so you feel like in 2018 a lot of black actors coming in to audition for works that you're producing and directing yeah um are kind of pulling from still a really, really dated place when it comes to portraying... Black lives. Right. Yes. Mm. Yes. Because of the the history of <laughs> theater in America. Mm-hmm. You know, and the opportunities for black theater artists in America, you know... Um, so yeah, it's, and, and, and so, uh, to get back to what you were saying, basically like me going to New York and like having that sort of drive to want to find my place and, and do stories that reflect my own life while having this kind of disconnect as far as the training went, I, it was like a push and pull. Like I would go into these like rooms and be conflicted by, you know, how I was showing up to the table to present myself, and and like wanting to like do these like it, like important powerful roles. Like so, I was just sort of I was always kind of conflicted, and I just like I, wh- wh- where where can I find. Um, where, where can I, like, just finding place. I just never could find my place and, mm. and, and find roles that, you know, I mean, and, and every time, I would always get roles that were, 
that would take me outside of the city, like regional theaters, mm-hmm. never um, booked in New York. And so I was just like, I got, I was over it, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, after seven years, I was just like, yep, nope, I'm done. But I don't know if I am done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, I, I, I don't know if I am done. It's a journey. It is a journey. I am curious. I mean, I, I know the answer, but I want you, to you, you to answer in your um, voice. Uh, yes. Do, do you feel like th- that struggle is something that white actors can't identify with? Do you feel that they, you know what I mean? Oh. Are there, do you feel like the particular challenges that you've had and that you see other actors have, black actors, do you feel like white actors just don't have to deal with that? Like, no. They, I mean, no, they don't. I mean, I, Actors' Equity did, um, for the first time, I think, in history, <laughs> did a study on the percentage of, you know, of all of the, you know, union actors, the percentage of the people that are working. Um, and it was like 80% of people that are working in this industry that are union are like white men and women, you know, mm. and like 5% of the people, 4.6% or something are African American. And then it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So out of the entire pool of working actors in the industry, only 4.6% or something like that are African American. So it's almost like how can you with those numbers ever get to the really all of the many different kind of stories that you know are out there to be told? How yes. do you how do you even get there? Right. Right. That's I, just I a, don't, we don't know. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. I mean, you don't know. I guess part of the solution is like, you know, um, creating your own shit, mm. doing your own stuff and, mm. you know, making, making art on your own and not waiting for somebody to pick up the phone and, uh, and, and, and calling you and saying, hey, try this or try that. Just doing it on your freaking own. So, like, so let's talk about that yeah. because I feel like that's what you've done. Mm, mm-hmm. So you were living in New York. Living in New York, yeah. Finding yourself doing a lot of regional theater yep. um, in places outside of New York City. Yes. And uh, you said after seven years? Yep. Then what seven happened? Years, I came here in uh, 2011, spent... Uh, um, They'll probably have a different story, but I always <laughs> tell it like, yes, I worked on a farm, but they say <laughs> that I was just like laying in the fields, like weeding and, and singing and like... That's problematic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, uh, but yeah, I came here, I worked on a farm, Fable Farm and Barnard okay. and they're lovely. Shout out Barnard. Shout out, shout out Barnard. They're lovely, lovely beings. Um... And uh, worked at Fable Farm. They're doing an amazing job building community through agriculture and art and all of that stuff. Um, awesome. Yeah, they're doing great stuff. Um, and then I, I put together, at the end of like the season, if you will, it was like winter was coming, 2011. Um, and in December, I sort of gathered people and put together this like community concert hmm. um, 
at the, the Unitarian Church mm-hmm. in Barnard. Um, I had started teaching voice lessons, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I put together this concert, and it was like a rousing success. It was like, you know, 300 people packed in this church, beautiful, like typical, like Vermont, snowy, cold <laughs> evening. Romantic. Romantic candles everywhere. Oh, yeah, no, it was, it was, uh, it was beautiful. Um, so I put together this concert, and then there was like this buzz on like, you know, we want a sort of arts organization for um, the town of Barnard. People um, there felt the community, that... Pillars of the community. It was just like, wow, like, you know, are you coming back? Or, do you, <laughs> you know, we want to do some stuff. Um, that must have felt good. That did feel good. I was like, oh, okay. Um, and so I went home for the holiday, came back with this idea to start this arts organization, this community arts organization called Barn Arts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, like, raised $10,000 on Kickstarter and... Uh, worked with people in the community, did some grassroots fundraising, and Barn Arts is, um, was born and is still thriving. With um, I created like a summer youth theater program and brought singers up from New York and et cetera, et cetera, yada yada. Um, and uh, yeah, they're still thriving and doing like wonderful stuff. Um, and then I got a call uh, from uh, an arts organization neighboring. Barnard called Artistry Community Arts Center in mm-hmm. South Pomfret, which is a hu- huge institution now. It's like they were operating like in a house in Pomfret, and now they have this beautiful facility, a new theater, a 5,000 square foot art gallery. Look what God can do. Look what God can do. Ha <laughs> ha, hey. <laughs> right? Look what God can do. And so I, I created a theater program at Artistry Community Arts Center got the phone call to be like, hey, would you like to be in this world premiere of this new musical out in Seattle at the Village Theater? Um, And I stepped down from my position at Artistry and went away for six months to do this world premiere of this new musical called My Heart is a Drum. Um, But while I was out there, um, another call, if you will, Mm -hmm. happened uh, with an opportunity to start my own company. and it was like right after like Philando Castile got, you know, executed in front of our eyes. So when the opportunity sort of knocked at like to start a company, um, I wanted to be mindful and specific on like the lens at which I um wanted to share stories. Um, especially with my, you know, y- years of experience kind of like hitting the pavement sort of working in regional white-centric theaters um, uh, that I wanted to be specific about um, doing theater through the lens of the black experience. So um, I created Jack Productions, and we just finished our first season. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Um, uh, we opened with Terrell Alvin McCraney's Choir Boy, um, Terrell is the head of the playwriting program at Yale. Okay. Um, he won an Oscar for Moonlight. Okay. Yes. All right. Yes, Terrell. Great movie. Yes, great movie. Um, and then we 
started a New Orcs festival in February called JAGFest, uh, kind of showcasing and highlighting emerging new playwrights that culminates awesome. into stage readings. And then we closed our season with August Wilson's Fences. Mm. Um, and we're going to do um, the entire American Century Cycle. And for those of you who don't know... Yeah, let's talk about what yeah, that is. Yes. Uh, August Wilson wrote a play for each decade in the 20th century charting the lives of African-American uh, people. Um, and August Wilson is a um, great American black playwright who, um, I don't know, you, you can compare him to... No, actually, there's no comparison. <laughs> there's no comparison, um, actually. August Wilson is August Wilson. He doesn't need to be compared to anyone. Um, but he is a great American playwright, um, and it's shocking at times that people don't know who he is. But um, even... It took me, like, I don't know. They don't really teach it much in schools. Like, he should be part of, like, you know, the curriculum in high school. and like. But then that gets us back to talking about um, who is making up, you know what I mean, the theater community. Or, right. Or, um, right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I didn't see my first August Wilson play until, like, three years ago. It was the first August Wilson play I... I saw, um, and I think that has a lot to do with, like, you know, who's at the table mm. making these decisions of what shows are getting presented, mm. and, you know, August Wilson is an American playwright and should be on the minds of artistic directors or anybody running a theater, like, to be putting their seasons every year, because just like all of just like our town or, right. you know, all of the, it's like, it's, he should be on like in the minds of um, all these directors and leaders because it's, it's in the same family, you know, do if you, you will. Go do ahead. you see his work um, getting more recognition as time goes on? Do you see him becoming just, you know, for example, like August Wilson, as time goes on, do you see that changing? Do you see his work in particular, or work of other um, black playwrights, do you see them kind of getting more known, more credence in the uh -huh. theater world? Um, or is I, I that changing? I think so. I mean, Denzel is going to do um, the entire American Century Cycle for film. Denzel Washington directed yes. Fences. Yes, and was in it. Yeah. And he also did it on Broadway. Okay. Yep. Him and Viola Davis. I think he brought the actual same team from the Broadway production into the movie. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, yeah, I, I think, like, slowly but surely, I think it, it should be, like, faster. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But, like, I think, I think he's... People are starting to, like... I don't know. Um, I I also think that like as great as August Wilson is, it's like there are a lot of like emerging new black playwrights mm -hmm. that I think uh, uh, deserve the recognition that they, you know, need to kind of continue the work that they're doing. But yeah, okay. yeah, for sure. Do you do you go to the theater? Are there is there much theater in Burlington? Um, we have um, the Flynn Theater yep. on Main Street. I'm, you're familiar with yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Um, Did you go to Meyer Flynn's New Year's Eve no, concert? I didn't. Okay. But how was that? 
I didn't go. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I had heard about it. Um, she messaged me about it, but anyway. Myra's yeah. fabulous. Yeah. Um, uh, the Flynn Theater, they... Another black, beautiful artist that yes. lives in Vermont. Shout out Myra Flynn. Yes. Um, they put on some um, plays uh, and dance performances mm-hmm. that I think aim to let's say, bring diversity to the area. And I think that they um, succeed okay. more often than not um, when it comes to that. I've seen, um, like, um, some hip-hop dance performances there, um, contemporary dance performances there, that I think do, or at least, you know, seek to yeah. uh, illuminate our experiences. Uh-huh. Um, I don't... Uh, get over there and see live performances enough, though. I should work on that yeah, in, this, yeah. in this new year. I How do you feel about... <laughs> this is interesting. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about, you know, being in this era, like you said, this hip-hop dance performance, and, like, <laughs> white people consuming our work, culture, et cetera, et cetera. Because that's a question I get asked a lot about doing black theater in Vermont. And I don't have an answer for it yet. And it, and so I, I'm, I, I'm just curious to another, you know, black person, person of color that are living in this area that, like, wants diversity and wants, you know, you know it's a very homogenous area, like, our thoughts on, you know... On well, that. I'll give my answer and then yeah, you'll give yeah, your answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so I think as things stand now, Mm -hmm. and especially given the demographics of the state that we live in, um, black people, you know, for better or worse, are going to need the support of white people to, um, I don't know, not give credence to, but just to, um, I don't know, it, it, it feels like maybe you could call it a compromise being made, mm-hmm. um, that like in order to tell our stories, we need white people, it would seem to step aside a little bit and um, give up some of their space so that mm. so that we might have some because, you know, I don't know, it's just the way I see it, we can't deny... Hmm. <laughs> this sounds bleak. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. <sighs> it's a hard... I mean, because I think it's... It's... I mean, it go. It's not just Vermont. I mean, we're, right. we think about rap music and like how you know white boys like consume it, and those are the ones that are purchasing the albums. And that, I mean, you know, I think that um, you know one person that has marketed himself in a way that gets all black consumption has become a mogul is like Tyler Perry. Mm. You know what I mean? And his audience are black people yes you know um historically when it comes to theater white audiences and so i don't know what 
we can do to change that to get more black people in the theater mm. i mean i think it's the stories actually because it's like black people don't want to go see the little mermaid like or the <laughs> is that true or is that true I don't know. I, I, I maybe I'm just speaking for me. Speak for um, you. And 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 no and no hate to people that are doing the Little Mermaid. Um, uh, are you talking about on Broadway or just just any kind of Disney whatever? Like I I, I don't know. Um, maybe Frozen people. I I don't know. But like I just think that like our lives aren't reflected on the stage, so it like keeps people from coming to the theater, black people from coming to the theater mm. in a way that theater also has this element of like bouginess and like academia and scholarly historically. historically and I'm not of course like there I'm not saying that black people don't want um academia or scholarly works on stage. But if but you don't see yourself and your story and your life reflected then on stage, there's what what, makes you... what makes you want to go to the theater? And, you know... I, um... Okay, so I want to sort of... I want to give a, a clearer answer to the, like, very, very important question that you're asking. So, ultimately, I think the answer is what you're doing, which is mm. creating your own space and space for other black entertainers yeah. um, to have their own space. Give it, I don't know, sure. you know what I mean? Like it's, we say space so often, but that's what <laughs> we're talking about. And I think it's so mm. often taken for granted um, by white people because uh, so often I think they've just always had space that they could call their own mm. in this country, in this state. Mm-hmm. So, so I think sometimes like, it's hard um, for white audiences uh, and people in general, uh, theater audiences, yes, but people in general to understand the need for space when we talk about it or what that even is. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. Um, so, it, and everything is so, so deeply interconnected. You know what I mean? Like, yep. if... Um, Yes. So, <laughs> no, it's complex. It's like it's it's very difficult. I think that um, for me, like right now, what I feel, wh- like what matters to me about that question is the fact that like I can look at numbers and say, you know, am I trying to change the number? No, but like if four point six percent of the working people in the industry are black, and then the rest are like white, essentially. Um, then it's just like, oh, like, I'm about creating experiences for other black artists to f- have work, like, mm-hmm. you know? And 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 it's sort of like a win-win because this homogenous kind of community that generally are have moved up from wherever a city that likes to say that they, you know... Um, want and need diversity if you will will they get to see these stories you know about black lives reflected on on the stage um and so you know i get to provide this opportunity and then like you know for a moment they get to break out of their sort of like white <laughs> safe bubble and and see the world through a different lens I, um, I think what you're doing is absolutely vital. Um, mm. It's it's just, I think we're getting to 
a kind of conversation now about like doing that like how do you do that without compromising and in a way can you mm. I, I was trying to um, what I was trying to say I think uh, is that just given the history of this country Hmm. it's we're all you know everyone white black um, Latino Asian we're all in a relationship together in this country for better or worse you know what I mean and for a lot of us uh, non-white folks it feels like an abusive relationship Mm -hmm. Um, so what we're really talking about when it comes to having space to ourselves and telling our stories, it almost necessarily, it has to be done, not like with the permission of white people, but, you know what I mean, that's who, you know, at the very least we're getting it back from, you know what I mean, because we, it's, a lot of times we, it's reclaiming space, you know what I mean? It's like, hard. what's the percentage of who, like, Black Friday, when we think about it, like... Or do you mean, what, the like, day after Thanksgiving? The, the, the day after Thanksgiving, like, who's buying stuff? Like, I think that, like, black people that... I think that we, there is enough of us to mobilize... Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, we don't, that we don't have to need white people... And, I think and that's the dream. That's I think the dream. I, I, that's the dream. And, you I, and know? I'm, not, I'm not saying that that isn't or can't be a reality. And I think for a lot of people, that is their reality. Um, and you can point to any number of black entrepreneurs who are really, really creating their own spaces mm-hmm. without, you know what I mean, the the overwhelming help and support of white people. And white I, I say white people solely, if you will. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, because, uh, I love all my donors. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love y'all. Thank you. I, I, I'm not trying to, you know what I mean? I, I want to be as, as real as possible and mm. not trying to paint a picture that doesn't reflect people's realities. Mm. I just think so often, unless, you know, I mean, we're fully doing things ourselves, and I think there is so much challenge there. It's the struggle is beautiful, but like there are so many roadblocks to people of color um, sort of creating their own space entirely. Mm-hmm. And so often, um, when it comes to success in any field, I would say, so often it looks like like a balance, a tug of war um, between wanting to be autonomous and independent and really speak your truth, mm-hmm. but needing in some way, shape, or fashion the, the support, sure. uh, be it financial, mm-hmm. just like social, mm-hmm. of um, white audience. I think it's like for so many people, it's a, it's a tug of war. Absolutely. So I just... Um, that is literally my world. Yeah, and, and you know what I mean? I think you... And a lot of other people are really, really working towards creating a world in which we can be fully autonomous, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And not, mm-hmm. like, constantly be asking permission from white people to do things that they don't have to ask, ask permission to for. do. Ask for. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, 
I think that's so true. I think we can do it, and we are doing it, but so often there are concessions that we make mm-hmm. just to make our lives easier and to push our art and our culture forward. Mm-hmm. There are deals we have to make. You know what sure. I mean? There are people that we have to sometimes appeal and appease, like that we don't really want to. But Y'all this don't is see the eye roll. Yeah, they don't see the eye roll, but yeah, they can true. hear it. It's, they can it, hear it, the eye true, roll, Jarvis. You, like, it's an audible uh, eye roll. So yes. that's that's what I want to say. You know what no, I mean? No, that's beautifully said. And um, so in Burlington, um, yeah, my experience is that I, I think that the community of theater and art lovers um, in this area, I think that they are well-meaning and well-intentioned, but I wonder if they understand that for um, people of color, for artists and entertainers, just like, for example, how much, how many personal concessions are being made. I don't know if, if white people understand, like, what it's like for us being in this area and feeling like we have to give up certain aspects of who we are just to just to you know what I mean make a way okay okay I you know what I I think the perfect example of that thing that you're talking about was the when I showed up to Fable Farm this summer Mm -hmm. with six black women mm-hmm. it was first of all it was such a profound experience because like that town knows who I am they love me but like in that moment they had to like pause to be like oh shit like I don't own this person he's not just like us like he has been he, like he has been like in this community and in this area making stuff and we're all trying to like put him on this like same page like us but like he it, he does have to sacrifice being here. Like I've never seen him with like a fierce group of black women coming into this space. Like what has it been for him being here, the only black person, and the sacrifice that he has has to make to be here and to live here and to engage and et cetera, et cetera. And it was just like it was a it was like a piece of art. Mm. It felt that way. How? Do we, how do folks like you and I, to the extent that we we even want to, how do we express to our um, white peers? Allies uh, is what they say. Sure. how How do we express truly what it feels like to be us in this area? Like good, bad, ugly, indifferent, to to the extent that we even care to explain, you know what I mean? Like, what it is that we're feeling all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, how do do we translate it? How do you? You know what I mean? That's a good question and a difficult question. (laughs) There's a lot to it. You know what I mean? I I mean, I think it just kind of starts with, like, (laughs) with this. I mean, Mm -hmm. listening... I, I, I don't know what else to um, 
say but listening i think that um like reflecting on my time here i think the relationships that i've made with people so much of it had to be me sort of um what's the word that we all call it when we're uh, uh, like coding into this community that like hmm. no one has ever kind of like like cracked open and been like what is it like for you being here like I've never been able to have a platform where someone asks like about my life or like what you know what is it about being black in Vermont and like what what are your experiences so I mean I think that something like this and the platform that at which you know I'm making theater Mm -hmm. that causes us to ask questions um you know I, I think those are some ways that we can do that. I don't know any other. I don't know. It's a, it's a process, right? Mm-hmm, I think yeah. this is the start. Yeah. Um, people like to say that it's a conversation. You know, that's, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? That, yeah. That no, gets... it's a conversation. Right. And so maybe, perhaps, mm. starting our own theater companies or starting our own podcast maybe we are doing our part in having the conversation right. that I think we agree is so right. desperately needed. Yeah. And that might seem uncomfortable, I, w- I would say, for everyone at times, but I think white people think sometimes that the conversation is just, it's too uncomfortable to have, and what that does is... Um, doesn't help anybody. Right. It kind of just, we, right. we stay at square one and never move because some people just think that the conversation is just, it's too much to bear. Right. And I, a, a particular instance of that, it's like I sent out a newsletter at the beginning of the summer saying that like Vermont is the second whitest state of the nation, mm-hmm. you know, of like what it means to be doing black theater in the second um, why does it in the nation? And I get this reply from a patron just being like, as a person that does theater and have been involved with theater, like your tone is like too harsh, you know, of me just like tone policing, tone policing, policing me, um, content policing, content policing me of like, of stating facts. Right. It's not, it's not like, um, subjective. No, no. <laughs> I was like literally stating facts right. and, you know, I shared something on Facebook about it. And and you know what? Actually, I hope that she, like, hears this. Oh, and yeah. that that... It sounds like she might need to just to progress. Right. And, and sit to have the conversation with me on what that means. Like, yes, it is the second whitest state of the nation. What does it mean for you being a black person living in the second whitest state of the nation? What have your experiences been? Um... Uh, because we tend to, especially in sort of like liberal states like Vermont, just kind of put us all in the same kind of like... And I think this is a form of escapism for a lot of us, but like I think it's an escapism for white people in general just to kind of like come into this homogenous area and like, you know, have all of this space and land and be so far removed from everything else. Um I don't know. It just makes me it it, it it makes me question. Like, I mean, yeah. And I I live here. You right. Know? It's interesting. I live here. I live here. You're, you're saying that um, this state attracts folks who are seeking a type of escapism, 
and for perhaps maybe I don't know and, and that looks different when we're talking about people of color versus when we're talking about white people. Yes. That what you're escaping from is, you know, maybe it's the same, but but I think ultimately it's different. Yeah. Yeah. What, um... I mean, I... I, I this is hard to describe, but mm-hmm. I feel like there was this form of escapism for me moving here because I, I moved here and then I was like, oh, I'm like in this, like, safe space and this environment and trees and people are so lovely. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like, wait, there's another element to this. Like, And what is that? <laughs> my black ass. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my black ass. It's like, no, 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 no. And there was almost, like, a blindness. Like, a, a conf- I had to, like, break free from this, like, um, like white utopia sort of like we're all one equal love like I, I don't know it's hard to describe but like I I sort of um, felt that the first years that I lived here and I was just like yo wait there's, there's I'm different from that obviously mm. um, and I had to like be conscious to um, to identify the difference mm. Um and to be proactive and to and and to speak and work um, on that difference and just you know I, I I don't know but I when I reflect about my time here it's just like the first three years I was just kind of like I don't <laughs> I was like living like this white life. Mm. Mm-hmm. Kind of setting your blackness to the side. Yes. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I think that... Has that ever happened to you? Well, what I want to say is, <laughs> is, you know, not having by any means spoken to every person of color that lives in the state, no, every, you know, queer person of color, um, I, I surely haven't, but I think maybe on some level an experience we all share it's hard to imagine we don't is mm-hmm. being at times hyper aware of our blackness mm-hmm. or you know our, our you know just being a person of color or being queer it it's hard to not be aware of that when mm-hmm. you when you look around and you know don't see other people that look like you yeah you know what i mean it's it's like it seems like elementary and basic, but yeah, um, it's a feeling I think, if nothing else, that at times we can all relate to it. It, I don't know that that's positive to mm. to uh, always, you know, have that to to relate you to other people. I don't know. I'm still kind of figuring out what that means. You know what I mean? Like what what to do with that energy? But it's there. You know what I mean? Like and. I don't. I think that's that's just America, also. Right. You know I mean, it's like we're kind of always made to think with two minds, people of color. Like, yeah. you know what I mean, we're like mm. we we just we're just kind of mm-hmm. living our lives as everyone is, mm-hmm. but also at times hyper aware, kind of always aware, but sometimes like hyper aware right. that I am black or I am queer and. Yep. And having to navigate spaces that aren't black and aren't queer. Right. And having to always be mindful, you know what I mean, of our 
otherness. Mm-hmm. It's kind of um, interesting, and mm-hmm. you, and the truth is, you can't really perfectly articulate that to someone right. who isn't. But we try. We do. I think that that uh, yeah, this is definitely right here what we're doing an effort to illustrate you know partially like what what that is like and i think something that's really interesting about this um like time and space that we're in right now Mm -hmm. of of deciding making a point to do initiatives about black lives about black experiences Mm -hmm. Um, about your experience, your story, is that the moment I started to do that, mm-hmm. like, I discovered more black people in Vermont. Like, I, I will say, and we talked about this um, when we were on the phone, mm-hmm. our phone sort of interview, of, like, the brilliant, wonderful black people that I have, that are here in Vermont, mm-hmm. that are doing incredible things, um, and because of my sort of taking the risk of doing the work that I'm doing in um, Vermont, mm-hmm. I have met some incredible minds mm-hmm. and, and brilliant people. And and it also gave me a platform to meet other brilliant artists that are outside of uh, Vermont that have come here to um, work with um with me, I think one of the sort of brilliant things about the work that I'm doing, but also like it kind of gives you a, a, a view of the state of American theater, is that oftentimes people ask me, "How do you get these people up here?" Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> How do you get them here? I mean, obviously, <laughs> you know. The right contract, the right money, the the right negotiations, all of that. But it's like, you know, the woman who played Rose in our production of Fences is a mm-hmm. Broadway veteran. She's like, I've been dying to do this role, mm. you know. And so it's like providing opportunity. That's awesome. In for for black artists that don't necessarily. Uh, that these opportunities don't come around much. And lo and behold, it's in Vermont. And lo and behold, (laughs) it's motherfucking in Vermont. And and it's not that like, oh, I get to be fences in in a black box theater with just a a platform. It's like, no, I get to be in fences and I get to have a very, like a professional, profound experience that I would get at any regional theater in this country or whatever. And I get to work with other actors and artists that are like mindful about their work and that are, that are creative and that want to tell meaningful, important stories. And so all of those layers together, I get Broadway veterans that want to come here to do work. You know, um, I'm very happy and proud about that aspect. If I must say so myself, I'm, I'm happy and proud for you. Thank you. Absolutely. It's so. It sounds like you're saying, um, while there is sometimes a certain feeling of isolation, mm-hmm. like just being us here, there's also an opportunity. Yes. You know what I mean? There's and and that is kind of making something from nothing. Making you know what I mean? <laughs> from nothing. And I think that Vermont holds itself mm-hmm. 
and are very prideful of itself for that identity of like yeah. people starting their own businesses. They're entrepreneurs yes. everywhere. You, right. know, you, you know, there are no billboards. There aren't, you know, right. like, we're just getting a target. Like everything is. We, we are proud of the fact that there's no McDonald's, there's no McDonald's. In, the, in, the, um, in Montpelier. Right? There's no, that, I don't think. The only capital there's no with McDonald's no McDonald's. In, Something like that. Is there Am I McDonald's right? in Vermont? Someone's going to fact check oh, me. Oh, no, 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 yeah. There's no, there's, there, there, there are, there are yeah. but our capital is yeah. untarnished with the president, with the presence of a... Of a McDonald's. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's something you hear a lot. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> so, so, like, and, and, and the sense of community um, yes. is huge here. I mean, we're, it's just a state made up of, you know, a, many small towns, and... Yeah, so it's kind of it. It forces that sense of community. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, because you need right. each other, right. you, you rely on each other, and you know, a lot of times we do know our neighbors, and you know, you can't say that about everywhere. Which is double edged sword again. Like, <laughs> Talk about it. Jesus. Speak about it. Oh my it. god, I can't. Sometimes I just want to go and get, uh, uh, <laughs> get, get to get my fried chicken from the kitchen <laughs> and not, you know, like. But it's like Jarvis and something that. But that's 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 part of the work. That's the that's that's the um, you know the work that I'm doing. If you're going to be in the community and be a pillar of the community, people are going to recognize you and they're going to come and they're going to say hi. And, and people are going to recognize you or I sometimes sooner than okay. other folks. You know what I mean? Like, because uh... <laughs> sometimes you can just see us coming. I yes. guess I don't, yes. I don't know why that is. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Double edged sword. Yes, it is. Gosh. Yes, it is. If ever a cliche were, were more on point, I don't know. But that that one really works. That one really works. I think for anybody feeling, you know, affirmed in who they are and what they're doing is absolutely necessary to thrive. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking about LGBTQ people of color in Vermont, where does that affirmation come from and what does it look like? Mm -hmm. Let's – that's the question. (laughs) It comes from who – there's no – there's no – I, 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 there's no platform for who it comes from. I don't, like, no, I, I don't get, eh, let me think about that. I no, think, yeah, I, think, I don't, yeah. I think that. How great would that be to get that affirmation from, or, like, the support that I desire mm-hmm. from, queer people of color in in fact it's it's hard it's it's a it's a bigger problem like when we think mm-hmm. about black history yes. month, it's like you know we're not talking like we're, we're we're it's all like black straight people mm. <laughs> mm. that we're like highlighting and showcasing it's like right. you know it's never really like black queer people aren't on the and and you know i mean I think I just read this article about Malcolm X being bi and Oh really? Yes. I, I hadn't heard yes. that. Okay. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Yes, Malcolm X was definitely bisexual. Um But that story we don't hear that. We so don't often. hear that. We don't hear that. We don't hear that at all. Um it's all the it's all the straight Right. Um air quotes. So mm-hmm. 
maybe the answer is we haven't really been affirmed yet. You know, maybe maybe we're still working on that. Um, okay. I also yeah because it, I hope you get a lot of freaking subscribers to this too. <laughs> well so because, do I <laughs> thank you you know because I think it's um, I, I I am looking for that affirmation from the black community on my state of existence mm-hmm. in Vermont right um, and I can you know post pictures from work I done and da 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 but like there's still like a disconnect and i get that that yes it's very white i do and some some black people are just like i just can't but like um well i think that um the state being as white as it is i think for black people and um people of color and lgbtq people of color i think that they might be seeking out you know, connections and relationships with other and voices, queer people of color, yeah. but but there's so much, shall we say, white noise. Um, yeah, that that it's just yeah. it's hard for yes. those people that are saying something to break through, just because there's just we about to be out up in here. We about to be loud up in <laughs> Vermont. The black folk about to be loud. I think things are changing. I think things are changing. And if we choose to look, we can see. Because I don't, I don't think there's, I don't, why should, um, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not saying this to get a bunch of black people to move here, but actually, I, <laughs> it's like, why should only like homogenous communities like have access to like this, like this beauty and right. this, like, and the clean air so. yeah. and like, you know, self-sustainability and, you know, delicious, amazing farms and foods and all of that. Like, why should, why, why should this only be like four and a half hours north, like in the middle of nowhere? Like, you know what I mean? Well, let's. Let's just say what it is. I think that mm. it hasn't been sold as a possibility for so many people. You know what I mean? Mm. I just wh- whoever who's I, branding Vermont. I'm saying. Okay. Well, let's say maybe the tourism, <laughs> the board of tourism. I don't know. Maybe they aren't doing enough Ooh. to say that this place is for you too. I don't. Yes. Know. Yes. I don't know. I went to this initiative, okay. the Vermont Arts Something, okay, a conference <laughs> in uh, Montpelier, and it uh-huh. was about that, about the branding of Vermont. Um, and Interesting. In fact, I'm going. I have another meeting on the 17th um, at Ava Art Gallery about cultural tourism, if you will. Um, but I have a reading in New York the day before, so I was like, "Oh shit, I'm not going to be able to." come to that meeting but i may try to make that meeting because i think that's a part of the problem like exactly mm. what you just said of like the way that the the state is being branded and like it's it, it it doesn't necessarily give a voice to or um an opportunity for pe- 
people of color to want to say, hey, I'm going to take my brown ass all four and a half hours <laughs> north to Vermont. Wait, north, north from where? Uh, New York. Okay, right. Yeah, right. sorry. No, that's fine. I, yeah. in, in a way, I thought you were talking yeah, about New York. Everything's... You're, you're really getting at something important there. Mm. I think that in order for things to change, we need people like you to be present, you know what I mean, in these places, but... But just to exist and do your work, sometimes you have to be somewhere else, and you can't. You're stretched kind of thin. You right. know what I mean? Right. So right. It, it, it makes change that much harder mm. through no fault of your own. You know what I mean? Why Why should it all rest on your shoulders anyway? Right. But right. You know, it, it can't. We, we all kind of, if we want things to start feeling and looking different, it has to be a concerted effort. Mm-hmm. We all kind of have to mm-hmm. pitch in a little bit. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. This is so. This is so beautiful. This is so good. This is like everything that I have been. Um, it's everything that I've have been creating with, and I want these. Um, there, there are three women that I have um, grown to love and respect that are just changing the game and they're just ferocious and they're fierce and let's talk about them who uh, are these women oh natalie ba- dr natalie batreville shout out um yes um olivia lapierre who's an activist uh, environmental activist um from ethiopia was adopted uh, grew up in vermont doing incredible incredible work and 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 we i oftentimes be like when i'm hanging out with them on you know i'm i'm like this needs to be, people need to know the caliber and the work and the people that are here. Um, and who else? You said there's a third uh, uh, Selena Desa, who's who just moved from Philly. She's a, Selena, don't, if I get this wrong, but I think she's Montgomery Fellow. Um, she's okay. in the AAS, AAAS, um, African and African American Studies at Dartmouth. Okay. Um, wow. PhD candidate. Um and uh and and others like i mean they're just i'm not saying they're coming out of the woodworks but like i'm learning more and i think dartmouth is a huge connection not to give dartmouth any credit because they have a 4.6 billion dollar um endowment endowment (laughs) and they don't need it's well endowed but i think that um me deciding and being specific about doing black work um uh Black people that come here for academia and scholarly stuff are just like, I need to find black people. How can I connect with black people? And they see that I'm doing this and they're like, hey, what can I do? How can I help? So there's a need. You feel like people are really like, you know, LGBTQ, people of color, um, are are seeking out community. seeking out community. I mean, Natalie literally saw Choir Boy, our first show of the season, Mm -hmm. emailed me and was like, can you come to this event? Let's hang out. Like, yeah. you know, and, and people are just like, hey, like Dr. Monica in, um, in Downa, who just got a job at uh, Dartmouth in the theater department, was like, hi, I'm uh, I'm here. I'm, you know, going to be moving <laughs> here from Boston. Like, let's... You didn't, you had no prior knowledge of no. them. No. But, but just our selves, just our identities unite us. And uh, yeah, like just goes to show we are seeking to build a community in real ways. And yes. it's happening. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. What does 
black and brown queer culture in Vermont look like? Mm. You know, I have to be honest. Okay. Please do. I, that, the, the queer portion of my work. Yeah. I mean, you can't do it all, right? Right. Um, but I can actually be, I, I guess like, actually, I opened my damn season with a show about queer lives. Um, so, so much of like, God, yeah, no, so much of my work, it's like heteronormativity. It's just like heterocentric. Um, Mm. and so I gotta be, I have to be more mindful and conscious of like, like when I'm thinking about the season and when I'm, when I'm curating and when I'm event plan, you know, like whatever to, and it's not saying that I'm not, I'm fine with on my own with identifying as queer and having a queer community. But if I have this platform, what is it that I can do to amplify that, that goes beyond my, six to eight people that I, you know, hang out with and I'm like, oh, you know what I mean? So yeah, no, that's, that's a really, really important question. And I think for me is that, you know, when I'm, when I'm planning, when I'm, you know, trying to create a season of work and a body of work, like I need to keep that in mind um, so that I can, because I would say the audience space is very heteronormative. Right. Like, so would you say that it's still being defined? It's still being defined. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. What do you, I mean, what, uh, do you have thoughts on that or like? Of course it, I do. Okay. I, tell I, me. I, you know what I mean? In my small way, I think I'm trying to build that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think that, like we said, we both know, like we're out here. Yeah, like we're, we're really out here, but to a certain degree, I think we're kind of satellites. Mm. You know what I mean? We're all just kind of mm. floating in our own orbit, and and occasionally mm. we collide up against each other, and we're stronger together. I think so. I yes. think I think that's what I'm finding out. Um, and mm. yeah, I think you know sometimes we collide, but it's almost like it has an accidental nature to it a lot of times it's not always intentional yeah um, and we're also like you have to drive everywhere so yeah like you know what i mean yes. like so if we don't know about <laughs> you in burlington you know a person of color queer like who, who's gonna seek out just to blindly go into an area and drive two hours or hour and a half and hope to find you right that's um, difficult. So there does we do need a platform. We do need a. But I think folks like you are mm-hmm. working towards that. I think you know what I mean. Uh, a million and, more, a million more Jarvises, and, and a, a million more Reggies, <laughs> a million more Reggies, and then yeah, we'll see. I think then what that community really looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we're doing it. I think other folks are doing it too. And I think we're going to be hearing more from them in the future. Do you, do you know of any other people that are brown queer people? With Absolutely. Initiative here? Uh, yeah. Please. Who? Um, 
am I naming names right now? Oh, is... maybe, maybe not. Yeah, no. Um, over... We can talk about it when we're done. And well, I think that... More whiskey, uh, more whiskey. <laughs> smoking, smoking some whiskey. more whiskey, um, yes. No, I think the folks... Uh, I think I am, you know, slowly but surely discovering who those people are. And I think Great. we're going to have them on Brown and Out. Yes! Um, yeah, I think that's definitely... Um, Come through, Reggie. <laughs> so, when do you feel most, or when did you last feel... Brown and out, like when, (laughs) like you know what I mean. When when do you feel like your black queerness most? Let's say. Ooh. I don't know. I mean, what do you? Is that something you? I think it probably is something that you reflect on a lot, just given our conversation. So, at what at what time would you say that comes out for you? Um. Around my dearest friends here, Celine and Natalie right. and Olivia. Those women that you mentioned. Yes. Uh-huh. I feel browning out around them all oh. the time. Okay. Um, we are candidly, openly talk about sexuality, sex, mm-hmm. like, you know, and it's not like your sexuality versus mine. It's like, mm. it's all open and exploratory. And um, I feel that way. I felt that way. Um recently picking up my uncle who is a black gay man Mm. um, in New York and driving down to South Carolina to visit my family and us sharing stories and talking um, uh, sexual experiences, people that we've been with, uh, uh, how we, when we knew we were gay, our first experience X, Y, and Z. Um, And with my, my dearest best friend, Richard, um, who I met in Seattle, and we've known each other for 10 years, and he lives in Brooklyn, and I, every time I go to the city, I see him, and we're just, we're browning out together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. That's a beautiful thing. Yes, yes. <sighs> well? When was the last time, you, when do you feel browning out? Right goddamn now. Yes! <laughs> like, yes! Yeah, you know? Yes! This, and this moment, too. Yes, yes. I, I can't say that. This is an entirely selfless endeavor. You know what I mean? I need oh. I need to feel this way. Yeah. Don't. Where are the tissues? <laughs> Where yes, are the tissues? Reggie. Jarvis is having a moment. Reggie, <laughs> that's beautiful. I think I think that's beautiful. I think it is beautiful. I think there's beauty in that. Okay, well, I want to thank you so much mm. for being on the podcast. This is um, amazing. It was great talking to you yes. and having you share with us. Uh, Jarvis Green, folks. Yes. Okay. Beautiful. <laughs> Cheers! And, that, and that's it. That's it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the third episode of Brown and Out. Don't forget to subscribe to Brown and Out on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Brown and Out and on Instagram at Brown and Out Podcast.